You know, we come across passages in the New Testament where the speaker uh, or the author quotes a passage from the Old Testament. We've been spending the last few months going through the Old Testament and building a little bit of a structure and understanding how all these things fit together. And as we now move into the New Testament, we sometimes see, oftentimes, that the New Testament looks back and, and it quotes specific passages from various parts of, of the Scripture. I personally find it fascinating to dig in and, and see how the New Testament uses the Old Testament passages. At times, though, have you ever been going through a passage and you, you come to a, a quote and, and you think to yourself, what in the world is going on here? Why would the author of Hebrews quote that passage here? Why would Matthew quote that passage to, to prove this about Jesus? And sometimes the, the quote just seems a little bit misplaced or obscure until you go back to the Old Testament and you read not only the verse that it came from, but then you look at all the verses around it and you look at the context of which, in which that saying was originally given in the Old Testament passage. And you discover that that Old Testament quotation is just a door to a much bigger story. We saw this many times in the book of Hebrews where the author makes in these inc- this incredible use of the Old Testament scriptures. Matthew in his gospel is also a master of the Old Testament. And his quotations deliver a punch that the careful reader will not neglect to delight over. Uh, you might be aware that when Jesus was on the cross, Jesus had several things that he, he spoke from the cross, several sayings. As, um, in fact, he's quoting from the psalm quite, Psalms quite often. I, I was reading uh, a message from Randy Frazee's notes on Matthew 27 this week, and And he expressed it in a way that I had not fully discovered before, and so I'd like to share his observations with you as we start today. He put it this way. He said, Friday morning, 9 a.m., they nailed the hands and feet of Jesus to the cross. Three hours later, at noon, darkness came over all the land. How appropriate. And then three hours later, at 3 p.m., Jesus had been hanging on the cross for a total of six gruesome hours. Jesus, out of nowhere shouts out this most unusual question. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? From Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. Translated from the Hebrew and the Aramaic, here's the question that he asked. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's a Jewish educational technique that the rabbis use use a lot to help people in their memorization of scripture Uh, jewish people particularly in the old testament times would memorize volumes of scripture because there were no written copies of the bible like we have in our day and so the rabbi would give them hints to help recite a passage using a tradition called remez say it with me just for the fun of it remez Sounds like rememorizing or something, but remez, it means, it means to hint. And where he, he would start off the text with a phrase, and then the students would finish it, and they would say the next line. Uh, you're smiling. It sounds like you might have done this in, in school a little bit with some of your students, right, Jane? Well, let me do a little bit of remez with you, where I'll start out with something that you've likely memorized, and, and you finish it, okay? Mary had a little lamb. Everywhere that Mary went. I think very nice. You got it. Now, it's not from the Bible. Don't get that confused. But that's remess, all right? 
In, in Hebrew, again, it means hint. Uh, and scholars believe that what Jesus is actually doing on the cross at this moment is he was remezzing. He is giving the people the first line to a song that they had memorized. And they would have been encouraged to complete it. And so you might ask where this song's found. It's actually a song that was written by King David, and it was sung a thousand years before the cross, Psalm chapter 22. A song that was sung in synagogues and at the temple, and as, as the people would walk along the roads, they would teach it to their children. They would know it probably as well as you know the, the nursery rhyme, Mary Had a Little Lamb. And so as you might suspect, the very first line of the psalm reads, say it with me, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the people would have responded with the second line of the psalm. If not out loud, they would have said it in their own mind, which goes like this. Why are you so far from, why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. And, and that would have caused the Jewish people that were standing there at, at the cross, who had memorized this psalm as a child, to go deeper into the psalm's lament. And they would have continued thinking through the words of, of that, those verses. And they would find themselves in the petitions that David made to God. And the first petition comes and is found in verse 7, where David sang, All who seek me, mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. Psalm chapter 22, verse 7. And this, the people in the crowd, what would they be thinking? We, we just saw that, didn't we? Uh, wait a minute. Didn't, didn't we just... Uh, didn't we just do this to Jesus? In fact, if you look at Matthew chapter 27, in verse 39, uh, I'm going to back, um, yeah, verse 39, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. The next petition of David in Psalm 22, David sings, he trusts in Yahweh. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. And again, the people would say, wait a minute. Didn't the thief on the cross just say that very thing to Jesus a few hours ago? And yes, he did. Matthew 27, verse 43, just a, a few verses later. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now. And that would lead them to the next petition of David that they had memorized. Psalm twenty-two, fifteen: My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. And the people standing by would say, wait a minute, didn't Jesus just shout out this very idea? In John, he writes after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. And so it should be dawning on them what's happening here. And then the next petition would come where David sings, and hear this, in Psalm 22, verse 16, they have pierced my hands and feet. And if you're singing that song in your head and you're standing there, and, and it sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? David goes on and says, They divide my garments among them, and, my, and for my clothing they cast lots. And again, they'd say, Wait a minute, the Roman soldiers, they just 
They just did this to Jesus. They nailed him to the cross, and, and then they took his garments and they split them among themselves. One of the garments was seamless. It was a very expensive garment that Jesus had probably been given. And, uh, and so rather than tear it for the cloths uh, the, that would be ruined, they, they cast dice. They cast lots to see which one would get it. They literally cast lots for Jesus' clothing. Mark 15, 24 says, and they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And so the people should be saying, the rabbi is remezzing. They'd be familiar with this technique. And by starting off with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is leading them to a fuller story of what is happening on the cross. He's pointing to the psalm that was written over a thousand years ago before that, which described everything that has just happened to him. Now, we've been talking in our series, the story, about what's happening on the lower story and what's happening on the upper story. Uh, we've described the lower story as the events in people's lives. Uh, if you're just joining us today and, and you haven't been, been here for this series, have you ever read through the Bible and you come to these passages of Scripture and, and you have this story in Genesis and the story in Leviticus and the story in, in Ezekiel, and, and sometimes it's kind of hard to put it all together, isn't it? You come to these individual stories of people's lives, and, and sometimes it's hard to put all that together into one cohesive whole, and it seems like the events in this person's life might not relate to, to that person's life. And and, and coinciding that can be difficult. And, and on the lower story, oftentimes our lives look like that too, don't they? Have you ever looked at your own life and went, how in the world does all this work together? What in the world is God trying to accomplish in my life through these events? And, and at times it feels chaotic. At times it's painful. At times we feel loss and loneliness. And on the lower story, it sometimes feels like it doesn't fit together. It sometimes feels like things are out of control. But on the upper story, as we found through this entire series called The Story, we see that God has a plan all along. That God is accomplishing his purposes from the beginning of time all the way to the end. And all of it comes to this moment in history where the Messiah comes, what Isaiah calls the suffering servant. And the Messiah comes and he dies on a cross and he's raised from the dead. And so in the lower story, it would appear that the Jews and the Romans have come together to kill Jesus, and they defeated him. But in reality, in the upper story, this was God's plan all along. He is the Messiah. Jesus is the suffering service that, servant that Isaiah had prophesied. And, and, and we see that Jesus is fulfilling prophecy, and, and his shouts from the cross was not a cry of despair, not merely a cry of despair, but a cry of fulfillment of prophecy. But I want you to notice that the, the psalm doesn't end there. And they knew it. Every lament in the book of Psalms makes a, a turn. When, when there's this lament and the person cries out, in the middle of that psalm, it, it's going to turn directions and it's going to turn to, to a praise to God. And this psalm in Psalm chapter 22 is no exception. It starts with the lament, which we've looked at in part, and, and then the petitions that David makes and, and Jesus echoes. And then it makes a shift to a declaration of praise for deliverance. 
Psalm 22, verses 22 to 24 goes on and says, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear Yahweh, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. You see, David, without knowing it, is not only speaking of the crucifixion, but he's also speaking of the resurrection in these very verses. He's speaking of Jesus' deliverance. He is saying, by referring to Psalm 22, in three days, Jesus is declaring, in three days, you are going to see me again. I will rise from the dead. I will be delivered. But before the people could do anything about it, Jesus declared with one more, with one more thrust of air through his worn and beating frame. John 19.30 records, Jesus said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. It it is finished uh, does not mean he is finished. I, I want to make sure you understand that. When Jesus cried out, it is finished, he was not saying, I'm done. He was not saying, I give up. I'm, I'm finished. He said, it is finished. It's a single Greek word. Uh, the, the word that he spoke was tetelestai. It's a word that people would have been familiar with. They would have seen it on a, probably a daily basis or a regular basis at least. It, it was a word that was used in receipts. You ever look at your receipt and you're looking for certain information? There's certain words that you're used to seeing on there, right? Total, tax, 0.7 whatever percent. Uh, you see a phone number. There's certain information that you expect on a receipt. Well, there's certain information that they expected on receipts as well. When they paid their taxes, they would get a receipt from the tax collector. And you know what it said on it? To tell us, die. It's finished. Paid in full. But there's more. You see, the Jewish audience also knew how Psalm chapter 22 ended. Do you want to take a guess how it ends? Let me read it for you. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. Well, that's a prophecy. Do you know who those people yet unborn are? It's you. You, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have heard the gospel, if you're hearing the gospel for the first time today, you are a fulfillment of this prophecy. You are some of those people that are yet unborn who have heard of this message that it was told of the coming, of, of the, uh, uh, that, he, that he came and proclaimed the righteousness to us. It's you. David is saying that there will be a day like today where people who were not yet born will be born and someone will stand up and declare Jesus' righteousness and will declare Jesus' victory. But there's even more to that because the entire psalm finishes with this phrase, that he has done it. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. Does that sound familiar? In fact, in Hebrew, it's just one word. Hasa. And it means 
to complete something. It means it is finished. And so Jesus, hanging on the cross in severe pain, is ever teaching the people what is really going on. The rabbi, even in his dying breaths, is remezzing with them. He starts out the psalm, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he wraps it up, and before he takes his final breath, to tell us that. It is finished. Again, I want you to note that all of this was God's plan. The gospel first uh, proclaimed immediately after Adam and Eve sinned. The gospel that was first proclaimed back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He's speaking to the servant. But as he speaks to the servant, God declares the gospel to Adam and Eve. The good news that he is going to provide a way. And he proclaims, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You see, this was the first prophecy of the coming of Jesus who would accomplish the victory over our ancient enemy, who would crush the head of the serpent at the cost of his own life. Later in Genesis chapter 22, after God spared Abraham, uh, his son Isaac, he provided a substitute, a sacrifice. There was a ram that was caught in the thicket, and the angel stops Abraham from taking his own son's life, and there was this ram, and they sacrificed the ram instead. And there Abraham uttered a prophecy of his own on the mountain, a mountain that scholars believe may actually have been the same mountain that Jesus was crucified on, Golgotha. It was the mount where Jesus was crucified 2,000 years later. And we're told in Genesis chapter 22, so Abraham called the name of that place, Yahweh will provide this day on the mount of Yahweh, it shall be provided. So my friends, when Jesus declared to Telestai, when he called out, it is finished, he was summing up everything that was accomplished in those hours on the cross. And Jesus had accomplished what God had foretold from the very beginning. And I'm sure that the disciples, I'm sure that the disciples, they felt a great defeat. I'm sure on that day they felt great loss beyond anything they ever had known before. It was crushing. The Messiah, who was their hope, hope of all things to come, had been defeated. But on the upper story, what we truly know is that God was bringing about a great victory. In fact, Peter writes these words in his first epistle. He says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection was something that he had planned before the foundation of the world had been laid. Before God even created the heavens and the earth, he had a plan for how he was going to redeem man who he knew was going to fall. This sinful race 
that would rebel against him, that would go, go to war with him. From the very beginning, God says, I, I have a plan for you. I'm going to accomplish a victory. And Jesus already knew that he would be the lamb before anything was ever even made. And in the same way, his victory over death was also foreknown and foretold. The resurrection and the victory that it accomplishes has always been the centerpiece of the gospel. It also was foretold just as, the, as his crucifixion was. In the Old Testament, we see that Abraham and Job hinted at God's plan for a resurrection. God gave a foretaste of the resurrection when Elijah and Elisha, two of Israel's first prophets, uh, raised two children from the dead. Another man later on fell on Elisha's grave and he was raised back to life. And so we have these little glimpses in the Old Testament that something else bigger is coming, that there's a resurrection that's going to take place, that God has power even over death. And it was shown in, in the faith of Abraham, in the faith of Job, in the example of these first prophets. When Jesus came, we all know that he also performed miracles, but some of the most astounding miracles. Uh, one of the first ones that he, that he, that he did was that um, he, he raised a, a young man to life, gave him back to a, a widow who had lost her son. He raised a young girl back to life. Jesus raised two children back from the dead. And then, last of all, just a few weeks before he uh, went to the cross, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and the news had spread. And the idea that, that God, this man, this, this Messiah, is actually bringing people back to life had demonstrated his power even over death. But consider briefly that his resurrection was also foretold by the Old Testament prophets. Just like his death was foretold, his resurrection was too. Again, we find in the Psalms a hint of God's plan that was already set in motion long before Jesus ever came as a man. In Psalm 16, David was once again crying out for God's deliverance. But within David's prayer to God, he utters words which ultimately are going to be fulfilled in the Son of David, in Jesus, the Messiah. In Psalm 16:10, he writes this. He says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Sheol is the word for the grave. Or let your Holy One see corruption. We've already spoken of Psalm 22 and how Psalm 22 alluded to the resurrection and the victory that was foretold and which Jesus alluded to onto the, on the cross. But the prophet Isaiah also predicted not only the death of the suffering servant, but he also predicted the, the resurrection of the Messiah. But he also, in Isaiah 53, it's a psalm that's um, filled with imagery of the future cross. It's filled with imagery of the servant suffering for our sin, being broken, being uh, wounded, being killed. But that prophet also said in Isaiah 53, he says, Yet it was the will of Yahweh to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of Yahweh shall prosper in his hand. And then going on to speak of the victory that would be accomplished through the death and resurrection of the servant, he continues in verse 11 and says, Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteousness. Is that not what Jesus accomplished for us? To make us righteous because he became our sin? That's what the New Testament later on speaks of. 
He made many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. But if you don't believe the Old Testament prophets, was it ever predicted by anyone else that he would rise from the dead? Jesus himself said it. Jesus came to his disciples. They didn't know what to think about it. You know, he spoke of the resurrection. He spoke of three days. I'll come back. He told them I was going to, I'm going to die. In fact, he even specifically told them I'm going to be crucified, which they were baffled at. But then he said, I'm going to be raised from the dead in three days. And they didn't know what he was talking about. Certainly he was some offering some, some weird figure of speech that they couldn't understand. But indeed, if you look at what Jesus' words said, in Mark chapter 9, verse 31, it says, The Son of Man, he said, is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. Later on, Jesus is even more specific about both his death and his resurrection as he's approaching Jerusalem. He said, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. Today, we celebrate not only that Jesus paid for our sins, but we celebrate the death, that, that death could not defeat him. We proclaim the reality of the resurrection which has accomplished great victory not only over our enemy's sin but over our ancient foe death. We celebrate that this was all a part of God's plan from the very beginning. His death and his resurrection has always been at the core of the story. Resurrection Sunday is a day on which we specifically celebrate the historically proven fact that the man, God who became flesh, the man Jesus of Nazareth, was raised from the dead. Jesus did not stop at the cross where he had made payment for our sins. Jesus Christ also conquered death. He was buried, and the third day he rose from the dead just like he said he would do. And again, his disciples didn't understand it, did they? They, they looked at these things and they were baffled. After he died, they, they ran, they hid, they, they were in an upper room because they didn't know what to think of these statements and these prophecies that Jesus had made. But he plainly foretold it. He surely did it. And by doing so, he changed everything. And now we have the sure hope which we will look forward to, that we also will be raised and will live for all of eternity. This is not, it's not just a spiritual resurrection, but a bodily resurrection, uh, which we also will be raised to life imperishable. My friend, if you're here today and you have not yet responded to the, the good news that Jesus Christ died for you, he calls to you. He calls you to, to believe him to put your faith in Jesus Christ who died for you. And just as his death was foretold from the foundations of the world, it was prophesied through, through the, out the Old Testament Scripture. His resurrection was, was prophesied as well. It's been a part of God's plan for all of eternity. But he comes to you 
and He commands you to believe. To recognize that you are a sinner in need, in desperate need of salvation. That without Him, you are lost and under the wrath of God. But Jesus Christ paid the penalty that you and I could not pay. And so, at the center, at the core of your life is a need in your story to respond to God's story. To respond to God's plan for a provision that was made for you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Your sins will be forgiven. You will be given eternal life. His Spirit will come to dwell in you. He will redeem you. He will restore His relationship with you. He will adopt you as a son and an heir. So many things happen in that moment in which you come to the point and say, I I can't do it. I I can't earn my own way. I can't prove myself to God. I can't accomplish all these things uh, on my own. My works are nothing. But I need Jesus, and I believe in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for me. He died on the cross. He rose from the grave. He conquered sin and he conquered death. And so with Job, perhaps the the first person in the Bible, chronologically, to mention the resurrection, we can all rejoice and proclaim this song today. For I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the incredible, mighty thing that he accomplished in dying on the cross. It was an event which we thought we had defeated him. We thought we had won. Our great enemy thought he had finally defeated your plan. But it was in that moment in which defeat seemed obvious that your plan was being accomplished. A plan that goes against everything that we think that we should do for ourselves. You provided it all. You gave your son, and, and you gave everything that we, that we could not give. A free gift, not by works, lest we should boast. Thank you for giving us Jesus Christ, who died for us. But Father, we thank you, and we rejoice this day that it didn't end there. That just as you predicted, just as you prophesied, just as you foretold to us long before, and just as Jesus told his disciples, Lord, I know that sometimes we still don't get it. Sometimes we still don't understand completely. But you told us it would happen, and Jesus rose from the dead, and he conquered that death, and so we give you praise and we rejoice. And we look forward to the day that we also will experience this resurrection that Jesus was the first fruits of. We thank you that we get to participate in this and that death will be conquered ultimately in our resurrection as well. And on this Easter Sunday, as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, we come before you and we give you praise. So Lord, hear us as we sing a final song.
I, I pray that these words that come from our lips would be a reflection of, of what we believe in our hearts. Glorify yourself in us as we go out from here today. Amen.